Hey, we are in Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. And when you're reading certain parts of the Bible, you really need to follow a map. Tonight is absolutely essential that you follow a map or you're not going to see what's going on. Uh, So I put up a little map here of Israel. Uh, Remember that they were camped. They came across before they crossed, I should say. Uh, there was two kings over here, a king named Og and a king named Bashan up here. They were both destroyed so that there were 60 cities on the east side of the Jordan that Israel controlled before they ever went into the promised land. Okay, uh, They camped across the, this is the Jordan River. And they crossed the Jordan River and camped at a place called Gilgal. Rolling, it meant rolling, all right, rolling off the old life that was left behind, taking up the new life. And of course, we know the story of Jericho and of Ai. Jericho was the first city that they attacked and destroyed. And then Ai, next to the small city, just down the road, the next one. Uh, now, this map is going to become very critical tonight for us to comprehend what's going on. Uh, this passage is absolutely challenging. I love it. I love it. I love it when a passage says, Can you figure that out? And you think you can, right? Well, you may not. So as you're reading, you really got to watch it. This is a passage that could fool you. Nothing is like it appears to be. Uh, It is set in an attitude. And the author, we believe, is Joshua. And it is very well written. Sometimes these people really, you think, he's a soldier, he's not an author. That's what you think. Uh, He has written this masterfully, and I find it exciting. I find it extremely challenging to think about. And so, are you ready? I hope so. Here we go. Joshua 9, verse 1. It came to pass when all the kings which were on this side of Jordan in the hills, in the valleys, and all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, Perizzite, Hevite, and the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and it, with Israel with one accord. All right, so something brought on this attitude. And if you recall last week where we left it, They had gone to Ai, sent 3,000 people, got beaten. And and Joshua's on the ground praying, and God said, get up. We got to fix this, it was wrong. 
And what was wrong was there was sin in the camp. So they found Achan with his stolen goods under, planted under the, the tent, pulled them out, killed Achan, buried him in stones and his whole family. And then it's very important to note what they did. They went back to Gilgal and they started sacrificing to God. And they're making sacrifices to God. And they sit down and Joshua reads them, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so, if the people nearby are watching, and you bet they are, all right, because the Jordan River Valley, Gilgal, where they are, is lower ground. And if you come uh, just west a little bit, you get a lot of higher hills and mountains. And so it's easy to look down on this camp of a million people and watch what's going on. And so uh, if, if they're up here looking down on Gilgal, they can see two things. All right, you can look, and there's the camp of Israel. The smoke is rising from the sacrifices. Over there is what used to be Ai. Nothing left. Smoke is also rising from that. And these people now sacrificing to God, and they're praying, and they're reading God's word, and they're getting themselves all set. And these people are frightened, people that are watching. So he says, all over, not just the spots that I have marked, but he said, all the way over here, to here, all over, there are cities. And I'm going to use the word Canaanites. He uses a lot of different names there. They're all the same branch of people. You know who Canaan was. Maybe you don't, all right? Noah had a son on the ark with him named Ham. Ham had a son whose name was Canaan. These people, Canaanites, who live here in the promised land are the descendants of Canaan, who has a record of being a particularly bad apple, all right? So these Canaanites uh, were descendants of Ham. So from Noah to Abraham, how many generations? 10, I heard, some, who said 10? There you go. Somebody remembered our sermon that we preached. Never mind. Um, ten generations. Noah to Abraham, ten generations. And so from the flood, the Canaanites have moved into this property, taken it over. And God says to Abraham, the cup of iniquity isn't full yet. All right? He says, I'm watching these Canaanites. They got a really bad start. The cup of iniquity isn't full yet. Now, when he comes to Moses 
He said, it's full. So 500 years later, we got from the flood to Abraham. These are Canaanites. They know the history of the flood. Now, in Abraham's time, what happens then? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It's two cities right here, right there and there, two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. They are totally destroyed by God because they become so vile, he won't allow them to exist. And so the Canaanites have knowledge of God, knowledge of the flood, knowledge of Sodom and Gomorrah, and how God has continuously punished these people. And <clears throat> there's one thing that happened. For 40 years down here, the Israelites wandered for 40 years. And so for 40 years, everybody's going, what's with those guys? They're wandering around down the desert down there in circles. They don't do nothing. So what's the big deal? So uh, then they march up to the Jordan, take these two kings and they're on that side of the Jordan and cross the Jordan. Now they're thinking, well, I don't know about these people. They got Og and Bashan. So you think they'll get us? Well, they're going to march around Jericho. Ha, ha, ha. They'll never get that city. That's the prime city on the Jordan Valley. That's the one that's walled way up to the sky. No problem. Well, we know what happened. And then AI, the next city down the road, is in trouble. So now the Canaanites say, we will unite entirely all through the whole land, all the way over to the sea, all the way down the seashore. When this is the Mediterranean Sea, they all are going to unite together and attack Israel. Now, that's a lot of people. There's a big army. And these little, what we would call today a, a city-state, these were cities that built themselves walled, protected themselves, and were like a little country in a city. Right? And they owned the property around, worked the property around it, and uh, they fought amongst themselves for years. And so now they are uniting together against Israel and they are gathering, spreading the news. Look, these guys came across the river. They took Jericho, destroyed it. And they have moved. The next city down the road is Ai. And that's nothing but a pile of ash now. So we got to attack them. So let's get our act together. All right. And so they've been watching. They can see their sacrificing to their God. 
They can see the sacrifices. They know what the Ark of the Covenant is. That's what came into the river, stopped everything, and they're making sacrifices, and the Ark of the Covenant is there, and they're worshiping and praying and reading the scriptures there. They say, these people are all about God. Let's attack them and get rid of them. So the Canaanites, of course, are anti-God, and they are very rebellious, very rebellious. We are going to fight, all right? <coughs> well, did it help Og? This guy had a 10-foot, 12-foot bed. He's a huge guy, all right? No, he lost. Bashan ran 60 cities, he lost. Jericho, the jewel of the Jordan River Valley, is laying in ashes, and AI is gone. And so it seems like they got God's help. And what did the Canaanites go? We don't care. We are against it, we're going to fight it. We're going to join together as one group all across this land. We're going to attack them, those people. All right? So, though the cup wasn't full in Abraham's time, now God says the cup is full. These people are rebellious. It is not that they don't know. They know exactly what they're doing that these people who worship this God come into our land and we are going to do everything in our power to destroy them. Now, verse 3. Get ready, hang on now. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they did work wily. And went and made as if they had been ambassadors, took old sacks on their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clotted upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Now, if you go down the road, there's Jericho, Ai, and the next city down the road is Gibeon. And they're next in line down the road. And they're thinking, look, we live in a bad place. <laughs> We're next in line. What do you want to do about it? Well, God told Israel, I want all the Canaanites, dead. No survivors. So don't go in there and fool around with them. I want them gone. These people's cup of iniquity is full. I want them gone. So the people in Gibeon know that they are next one down the road. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, <clears throat> it says they worked wily. 
they got an idea. Let's see what their idea is. Now they've got old worn out clothes on, shoes are barely tied to their feet. They got wine bottles that are all cracked and patched and they got moldy bread. <laughs> They're pretty clever. Verse six. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, said unto him and the men of Israel, we be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. We want to make a peace treaty with you. We're, we come from a long ways away. We traveled so far that our shoes are worn out. Our clothes are all worn out. We've come so far. So we came to make peace. Verse 7, the men of Israel said to the Hevites, Perventure ye dwell among us. How shall we make a league with you? Remember, God said, No peace treaties with these people. I want them all dead. And so... These guys come, where you come? Oh, we've been traveling for a long way. And so we want to make a treaty. And they said, well, we know you don't live right down the road. They did live right down the road. But he said, we don't know where you're from. Verse 8, they said to Joshua, we are thy servants. Joshua said unto them, who are you? From whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard of the fame of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did of the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon, and Og king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for your journey. Go meet them, saying to them, We are your servants. Therefore, now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it's dry and moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. Behold, their rent and their garments, our shoes are old by reason of the very long journey. Okay, so uh, you got to think about it a little bit. Think about it a little bit. Uh, what are they doing? Well, they're lying through their teeth. They're lying through their teeth. But um, they, <laughs> it's kind of, I think it's kind of amusing. We got bread here. Look at it. It's moldy. How long does it take to wear out shoes? A lot longer it takes for bread to get moldy. Right? Right? Bread gets moldy in a couple of weeks. Stuff we buy nowadays, I don't know what's in it anymore. Right? Some of us sits there and I think, hey, you better be moldy soon. But, but uh, they got, well, look at Brett's moldy. Our shoes are wore out. <laughs> it doesn't quite add up. But they're very convincing. And they are appealing to Israel's what? 
a little bit of pride there, maybe. A little bit of pride. Why? Well, we heard about you. Mile away. Now, they're, they're very smart, because what do they say? We heard of how you came out of Egypt. That's 40 years ago. And we heard about Og and Bashan and taking all those cities. We heard about all of that. Yeah, yeah. They never mentioned Jericho or Ai, because that just happened. And we've been traveling, but we wouldn't know that. <laughs> So they're very clever. They're very clever. And uh, they come, and they don't say where they're from. They say they were from a long ways away. Verse 14, and the men took their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. So I said, well, here's proof. Here's my moldy bread. Show you how long we've been on the road. And they said, well, that's <laughs> pretty nasty looking stuff. But you've been a long time. Okay. And they don't stop and ask God. Verse 15, Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Okay, we'll make a deal. We're all in this together. We'll make a deal. Uh, we'll offer you a peace treaty. 16, it came to pass at the end of three days after they made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. The secret got out. Somehow somebody knew, somebody saw something they said, these guys aren't from a long ways away. This moldy bread is just a fake thing. They were the next city down the road. They were the very next one. And now, there's two attitudes. Think about these people. They messed up at AI. They went back and they did business with God. They got themselves straightened out. And... They're holy people now, ready to do the will of God. And let's go. We're ready. Next place down the road is Gibeon. Let's go get them. And all of a sudden, they find out we just made a peace treaty with these guys because they lied to us. Hmm. Verse 17, children of Israel journeyed, came to their city on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Sapphira, Beeroth, and Kareth Jerarim. Right, so there's four cities here that these go with Gibeon. One, two, three, four. They're all right in a row, kind of stretched out there across this hilly country. This is uh, where Jer Jerusalem is there, Hebron is there, and all this is very hilly, mountainous country. You know, Jerusalem is built in the, on the mountains. And so <clears throat> they got four cities in a row right there. And they come traveling down the road, and it, this is our city. We lied. This is ours. 
The next ones are the next one. 18. The children of Israel smote them not, because the princes and the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. Look at this. We were supposed to come to the next city and destroy it, and now we've made a peace treaty. What'd you do that for? We were all set, ready with God to execute judgment on a place where the cup of iniquity was full. So why did you do that? 19, but the princes said to all the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. But this we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. The princes said unto them, let them live. But let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. And Joshua called for them, he spake to them, saying, Wherefore have you beguiled us? Saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now therefore you are cursed. So none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. No. Go back to the beginning. You had this whole area, all the Canaanites and all their cities are bonding together, joining together against Israel. They're going to make a, a unified attack against Israel. And what made them do it? Well, it says they looked at Jericho and Ai. And you go, and I'm sure when they went, they looked, look at it. It's a piled of smoldering ashes. And Jericho, of all places, is a pile of smoldering ashes. So we got to fight against this God. But the men of Gibeon saw something that maybe nobody else saw. They went to Ai, it's the next town down the road. There's nothing, nothing left. No people, no animals, all gone. And then, of course, they go down the road farther, and there's Jericho, which is also nothing but ruins, but not quite. Not quite. In Jericho, there's one section, a wall, standing there. Why didn't that fall? Well, we know what that was. That was the house of Rahab. Everybody stopped at Rahab. She's the local harlot. But her house is standing there straight and tall, and the rest of the place is a disaster. I wonder how that happened. And somebody heard. She's with them. She joined up with them. 
And so the fellows of Gibeon say, well, they're not going to make a treaty with us if we say we're the next town down. So we got to find a way to fool them. But maybe, maybe, maybe there's mercy. Maybe not. But we're going to try. And so Rahab repents and her house is still standing. And it sticks like a real sore thumb above the rest of Jericho. And now these Gibeonites come in to make a treaty. They got their moldy bread and all the rest of it (laughs) as they're trying to uh, fool them. And their basic premise is your God, Israel, is the God. He's the right God. He's got all the power. Nothing we got here can stop your God. Your God's got all the power. And so uh, we are willing to make a peace treaty. Willing to serve. So Joshua said, well, here's the deal, fellas. You lied to us. So did Rahab lie, right? How did Rahab get those spies out? She lied. Did she get mercy? Yeah. Now the Gibeonites have told a whopper of a lie. All right. And they come to Joshua. Let's make a peace deal. They fool him. And the entire company country is now going to be united against him. And Gibeon says, we, we can't join that conspiracy against them because their God is going to win. Look what's happened. So we got to uh, join together. We are willing to serve. And so the Gibeonites People of that city <coughs> and the four, three other cities besides Gibeon, those people have made a contract, a peace treaty. And here's the thing Joshua says forever you will cut wood, cut firewood, and draw water for the house of God. Are you going to do that? That's going to be, you will never be free of that. That's your job forever. And they said, we are willing to serve. Think about this. Think about this. All right. We are willing to serve. Ask God what he wants from you. Number one, he wants you to believe he is God. 
Do the Gibeonites believe that? Yes, they do. Believe that God can do whatever God decides to do? Yeah. The entire Canaanite population will fight against that, but not the men of Gibeon. You know what? We can't fight this. So we are going to join them. And if we have to be servants to do it, we are willing to serve. And so uh, they serve. They become hollers of water and wood for the temple. Oh, they're making sacrifices every day. All right. Anybody burn wood? Got a few wood burners, all right. Um, it's something you got to do every day. <laughs> right? You got to do wood every day. And so it is with the making sacrifices twice a day. You got to have wood. And the major other function in the temple is water. And so they have made a huge laver, which is a great big, huge bowl. And they keep that full of water. And the priest comes there. He washes himself all over with water. He washes the sacrifices with water. And so water has constantly got to be drawn. I bet you nobody carries water here, do they? (laughs) We got rid of that job, right? That's a real project. But we got to have somebody to do that. So you guys are going to do it forever. So God says, I got these people who believe in me, first of all, right? Second of all, they are willing to serve. He said, they lied. They lied, yeah. But they came willing to serve. And God says, Joshua says, well, that's what we're going to do because you lied to us. They said, we are willing. We are your servants. From that day forward, the people of Gibeon, the Gibeonites with their four cities, are cutting wood, hauling water, day after day after day, generation after generation after generation. They're doing it. Now, let me show you something. Second Samuel. Second Samuel. Chapter 21. Second Samuel, chapter 21. Let's move ahead in time. 300 years. 300 years. Let's go ahead. 300 years. Uh, David is now king of Israel. So we've left Joshua, conquest of the land, book of Judges, where there's different judges who serve Finally, Samuel is the last judge. And then they come to King Saul. And the next king is David. 
So we're that far ahead in history. And watch this, 2 Samuel 21. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. So David is now king, and nothing's growing. It's been three years. It's not raining, the crops won't grow, and people are starting to starve. Three years is a long time. And the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Gibeonites were the liars. Yeah. But they were serving in the house of the Lord. And King Saul got in trouble because he did something he should have. So he said, well, I'll make up for it. I'll kill a bunch of any strangers I can find. And the king called the Gibeonites, said unto them, now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites. Children of Israel sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Same people. The covenant was made with Joshua. And because Saul tried to kill them, they, God said, I'm having a famine here until we straighten this up. David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? Wherewith shall I make the atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house. Neither uh, for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. He said, What you shall say that I will do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us, that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be delivered to us, and we will hang them up to the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose, and the king said, I will give them. So these Gibeonites, now we're 300 years later, and God is protecting them from an evil king, Saul, and he's punishing Israel that these people were punished. And so he gives them five sons of Saul and the Gibeonites hang them up on a tree and uh, they die. All right? They die. God's sticking up for the Gibeonites. Why? Because they serve him. They serve him. How much do they serve? Nehemiah. Book, a few more books over. Nehemiah, chapter number 7. Nehemiah. We have a record here of the people who came and built the wall in Jerusalem under Nehemiah. Surprise, surprise, who do you think is there? Chapter 7, Nehemiah, verse 25. And the children of Gibeon, 95. So there's 95 descendants who are now building the wall in Jerusalem. How many years is that later? Almost a thousand. Thousand years later, they're still building the wall, rebuilding it. And the same group of people is down in verse 29. The men of Kareth, Jerim, Sepharah, and Baroth, 743. So there's 838 descendants of the Gibeonites rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem under 
Nehemiah, thousand years later. Thousand years later, they're still serving God. And they're still building the wall. Their name would be changed from the Gibeonites to the Nethanims. It would be called the Nethanims. That's the Gibeonites and their relatives. And they cut wood for over a thousand years. So you say, when they said they would serve, they did. They did. And remember what David said? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of unrighteousness. <laughs> what do you think the Gibeonites are? Doorkeepers, carrying wood, carrying water. When it came to be Solomon's temple, they were sacrificing a thousand animals at a time. It takes more than a few sticks of wood, huh? Gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of water carried into Solomon's huge labor that he built, 12 full-size brass oxen in a circle with their heads out, and on top of it is a big brass laver, big, huge bowl. It's their job to fill it, and they've been filling it for a thousand years. And God is very fond of these people, and they become some of the most respected people in the history of the temple. And when they talk about who's in the temple, well, the Nephinims are there, or the Gibeonites are there. These are the people who lied to get in. And what did they find? That God had mercy. Matter of fact, it went a little more than that, didn't it? God had honor for people who would serve him. They came in and said, we're willing to serve. So it's an amazing story. It's not over yet. Not over yet. Let's go see what happens here. Back to Joshua chapter 10. It came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem... Heard how Joshua had taken Ai, utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he did to Ai and her king, how the inhabitants of Gibeon made peace with Israel and were among them. So now, one of the closest places is Jerusalem. There's a king in Jerusalem. And he heard that Gibeon just joined up with him. Here we're trying to make this treaty across the whole land so we can fight as one single force. And now Gibeon jumped ship, verse 2. They feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city 
as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Come to find out, Gibeon is a powerful, huge city, a royal city. That means they got a lot of money. They're a beginning of government there. All right. And therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horm, king of Hebron, Pyram, king of Jarmuth, to uh, Jephiah, king of Lachish, and to Deborah, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me, help me, that we may smite Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So, there's five cities Jerusalem, Hebron, and there's one, two, three more. And these cities said, look, we don't got time to wait for everybody to get on board. And now, Gibeon and that little group of cities is on their side. So we got to go fight with Gibeon. Verse 6, many Gibeon sent to Joshua the camp of Gilgath, say, slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly, save us, help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountain are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, fear them not, I have delivered them into thy hand, there shall not a man of them stand before me. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly went up from Gilgal all night. So they sent a message up to Gilgal. Joshua, help! They're coming after us. We got five city nations here that have joined forces and they are at our door to attack us. Come and help. Joshua said, let's go guys and we're leaving now. Well, it's nighttime. All the better. We'll be there by morning. Let's go. Joshua, off they go. Verse 10, the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter, given them, chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon, smote them to Azekah and to Makeda. Came to pass as they fled from before Israel, they were going down to Beth Horon. Now, here's what's happening. They're coming over here to Gibeon to protect it. And these forces, five cities, and their armies are, have come to Gibeon. When they get there, those people run. And they, and they make you, and they go down to Hebron. They're running from Joshua. And they're taking this through the hills, coming over there. And they're getting away. They're getting away because there's a lot of them, all right? And so, in verse 11, came to pass as they fled from before Israel, were into going down to Beth Horon, and the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Hezekiah, and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they which the children of Israel slew with the sword. <laughs> I love it. Here's these guys, <coughs> full rebellion against God, right? 
Gibeon said, look, we can't fight these God. We're going to join sides with them. Well, then we'll kill you first. And so they five cities moved against them. Here comes Joshua all night in the morning. There he is, and they take off running. So they're moving ahead of Joshua. God says, I got it. You're good. I got it. Hang on. And he's dropping hailstones on them. Now, if a hailstone would kill a man, it ain't that big. How big is it? I don't know. I mean, how big does it take to kill a man with a hailstone? That's going to happen again, by the way, right? We know that's going to happen with the Antichrist. Uh, but it's going to be hail, hailstones, and so there's this huge, violent storm. A very violent storm creates hail. This is a really violent one crackling over their heads and this hailstones come down and they're dying from hailstones. All right? Wow. Their goal is to get down to Hebron and there's a valley there where they think they can get in that valley and have a chance. <laughs> Here's their chance. Verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed. You got God on your side. You got it made. You got it made. Joshua is chasing them. They're getting away. Never mind. I took care of that. Now there's a bunch of them that went into the valley here uh, of Agilon. And Joshua gets there. He says, we've been chasing these guys. We walked all night, marched all night from Gilgal to Gibeon. Now we've been chasing them through. And they're running out of daylight. So, son, you stand right there. <laughs> and moon, stop. And God said, I'm in. And he stopped the sun and the moon. It says, verse 13, the sun stood still, moon stayed until the people avenged themselves on their enemies. And is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it. The Lord hearkened unto a voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. It's great. It's great. So, think about it. He just did a southern sweep across Israel. He's taken Jericho and Ai. Gibeon has joined him, and he's done a sweep across Israel. He will also come back over this way in that sweep. And what made it possible? did we start out with in the beginning? All the cities of all the Canaanites from the Mediterranean all the way up north 
it says way up to here in all these cities that we're going to get together and we're going to fight this guy. And Gibeon said, we're joining with you. And they made themselves a, a barricade that stopped the northern kings from joining. Gibeon, joining up, gave them, actually cut the land in half. And so it's a strategic move that who figured it out? God figured it out. God figured it out. Who figured out Jericho? God. Who told them how to win AI? God. Now they have just swept across from Jerusalem all the way down to Hebron, the whole southern section, uh, which is all hilly country. And they wiped out a whole bunch of people. And God says, I'll help you. We'll kill them with hailstones. And when you get the last bunch of them that are running from you, uh, I'll help you there. We'll stop the sun and the moon. And people scratch their head. How can the sun and the moon stand still? I don't know. I don't know how that could happen. I don't know whether God just made light but it says that he stopped it like it was never done before or since. But you do know, because you're good Bible students, that it says in Hebrew, what? Chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. We did that. Oh, we did that. Yeah, we did that. He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. This world is spinning on its axis because he set it in motion. This world revolves around the, the sun because he set it in motion. And it is still doing it because he set it in motion. And it says in the Bible, Jesus, the commander of the armies of heaven said I'm going to use what I got in my arsenal to fight and I can control the moon and the stars and the weather and when somebody says to you we got to fight global warming don't be stupid don't be stupid only one power that controls that and it's not our government. That's God. He could stop the sun and the moon there. And so, <clears throat> I run out of time. I hate to run out of time, but I guess I'm stuck with that. Um, here's, here's, let's do a little taste for next week. Verse 15, chapter 10. Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. All right, so they've been fighting for two days straight because it's all one day. <laughs> God kept the sun and the moon up there all day so they could fight another day. And they got everybody cleared out, all right? He goes back up to Gilgal. But these five kings fled, hid themselves in a cave at Makeda. 
So the five kings of these cities that had been in rebellion said, well, we're not going to fight with you boys. We're hiding. <laughs> and there's a cave in this Makita, which is right on this spot right here. As you swing around and they go make that southern sweep. And they found a cave. In 17, it was told Joshua, saying, five kings are found hid in the cave at uh, Mechada. And Joshua said, roll great stones on the mouth of the cave and set men by it for to keep them. So he says, good. Fill a cave up the door with stones and leave a couple guards there. And you stay, not you, but pursue after your enemies and smite the hindmost of them. Suffer them not to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them under your hand. So, because people are coming from all over, uh, there's a main body of them that had been at Gibeon. Those are now all dead. They're either killed by hailstones or they're killed by Joshua and his armies in the Valley of Agilon, just by Hebron. The five kings have hidden the cave. Somebody discovered him, and now he's got them blocked in the cave with a couple of guards so they can't get out. And they're hiding in a cave. Now, what happens next is for next week. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool what happens next. Uh, and they will continue this battle. But when they're done, the entire southern block is owned by Israel. They got the whole thing. All the major cities now controlled by Joshua and his armies. They have wiped out the populations in basically two days because of what Gibeon did. Because of what Gibeon did. When we first read it, we said, well, these guys are a bunch of smucks coming in with moldy bread and worn out shoes. Who's these people? These are the people that God used instead of having an entire army from north to south, he split it in half, and they were able in two days to make a southern sweep. In a couple more days, they would go down and finish it all off. And so it's amazing what God did. And it traces the hand of God in mercy on these people who said, we don't want to die. We don't want to die. And you know, we read last week about that God doesn't want people to die. That's not what God wanted. I mean, if people want to be rebellious, which most of them were, and their cup of iniquity is full, they've been given 500 years from Abraham to Moses to repent. And when this commanding army comes across the Jordan River, you'd say, well, you had 500 years. What do you want to do? I want to kill. I want to fight God. I'm against God. Let's fight. We'll all get together and fight God. Canaanites. Canaanites. 
Right. Now God has just wiped them out. More to come, more to come. But uh, it's a pretty fascinating passage because it fools you. You thought those nasty liars were no good. So did I. Then you got looking at it and say, wait a minute. If it wasn't for those people, well, Joshua couldn't have done what he did. Who set that up? God did. And so you don't need. If you're going to follow God, you don't need, first of all, to think, how are we ever going to do it? You got God. Come on. You got God. You don't need to whimper and whine and say, I don't know if I can live life or not. Get, let's do it. Come on. We got God. We got him on our side. That's what we need. Second thing is, God loves people who say, I will serve. And they served for a thousand years and became respected and honored by the children of Israel and held up as examples. God says, I love these people. I love what they did. And so the desire to serve is what will get a lot of God on your side. I promise to stop. Next week we'll go on and see what happens next as they're not quite done. You could read ahead if you were interested. <laughs>